Look, payday's awesome, but running payroll, calculating taxes and deductions, staying compliant, that's not easy. Unless, of course, you have Gusto. Gusto is a simple online payroll and benefits tool built for small businesses like yours. Gusto gets your team paid while automatically filing your payroll taxes. Plus, you can offer benefits like 401k, health insurance, and workers' comp, and it makes onboarding new employees a breeze. We love it so much, we really do use it ourselves, and we have four years, and I personally recommend you give it a try, no matter how small your business is. And to sweeten the deal, just for listening today, you also get three months free. Go to gusto.com slash boss. that's gusto.com slash being boss. Hello and welcome to Being Boss episode number 99. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. Being boss in work and life is being in it. It's being who we are, doing the work, breaking some rules, and even though we each have to do it on our own, being boss is knowing we're in it together. So today we're recording this episode in a live hangout with some of our listeners. We're following up on the episode that we recorded with Jasmine Starr, where we touched on the topic of authenticity and haters. And we really want to deep dive on this topic of criticism, both real and perceived, and talk about how we continue to show up as we are in our businesses in spite of the feedback we receive. We're going to share our experiences and insights and answer some questions from our live audience here toward the end. Be sure to go and download that episode number 93, which is Jasmine Starr on Authenticity and Haters if you haven't listened to it yet. The nature of work is changing. The internet has enabled more people to become self-employed professionals and small business owners. I remember just six years ago, whenever I started working for myself, I thought that maybe people thought I just couldn't get a real job, but that is no longer true. Today, one in three Americans is self-employed and it's only growing. However, the world is not built to support the self-employed. Institutions like banks, retirement savings, employment insurance, accounting services, they really need to adapt or be replaced. And this is why I love FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. They have been with me since the beginning. I started freelancing six years ago and immediately started using FreshBooks and have been using them ever since. And they continue to innovate their platform to accommodate the needs of creative entrepreneurs. And you guys, it's so easy and intuitive. So if you're needing to update your accounting system or need something that works better for you, be sure to check out FreshBooks. Just go to freshbooks.com slash being boss and enter being boss in the how did you hear about us section so you can try it for free. So let's dig in. Emily. Yes, ma'am. I'm curious to hear if you have dealt with haters before and we're asking our live audience Some of them have totally dealt with haters, whether it's their own inner critic, family members, online trolls. I'm curious in your life, when have you dealt with haters? Um, I did a lot in high school. I was always the girl that I was really hardcore. Hey, look at this face. No, but really it was more like all of my friends were dudes. And so I was always the girl who like all the other girls like hated on because I was friends with all their boyfriends, basically. Um, 
But I, that was fun to deal with. Um, but were you making out with their boyfriends? No. <laughs> I'm Not just always, no. I never made out with people's <laughs> boyfriends. Um, but, like, as I've gotten older, it's been more, like, unintentional haters. Like, people who just who just don't know how to respond in kind ways whenever I tell them what it is that I do. Like, they're just unsure, and it comes off a little hateful sometimes. Um, so sometimes it causes me to, like, need to explain what I do a little bit more or just not care. Um, we get We get some, like... I don't know. And again, I don't really, I can't really call this stuff like hater talk because they're not so much hating as just not understanding like our family dynamics, like the fact that David and I are not married is a big thing here in the South or the fact that we work from home, like then we must be like total lazy people or something. Um, so we get a lot of, um, we get a lot of misunderstanding, I think, in our life that can come off a little bit hateful from people who don't know how to deal with themselves very well. Um, so that's really the worst I get these days. I'm really lucky in that either either I'm completely unaware of my haters, in which case I like it that way, or maybe <laughs> I just don't have any like legit haters, which I also will like it that way as well. Um what about you, though? You've had some, like... I have I have attracted a little bit of, like, online trolling. Right. But before I get into that, I kind of want to talk a little bit about what you said about being misunderstood or someone kind of being afraid of what it is that you're doing. And ever since I was really young, I got bullied a little bit, too. And my mom would always tell me, Kathleen, it's just because... They're afraid of you or they don't understand you. You are wearing different clothes from all of your friends. I really like dressing like I was from the 70s. I bet the you did. I've, I've heard stories about this jumper scenario. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, whenever I was in the second grade, I wore like a military Air Force I bet jumper. I Like a flight suit that I found at a Goodwill. So that was confusing for a lot of people because it wasn't like it was Halloween. It was like a Tuesday afternoon and I'm wearing this jumper to school. (laughs) But um, I've always dressed a little bit different. And so that definitely attracted a fair share of bullies. And I feel like whenever I was a kid, there wasn't this whole campaign against bullying. Like Bullying was par for the course, and if you were being bullied, you just kind of had to deal with it. I didn't get a whole lot of sympathy from my teachers and even my parents in a lot of ways, but I think that what it did is it made me very resilient, and it helped me understand what I was going to fight for from a very young age. So showing up as I am and being a little bit weird has never been a problem for me, but people's reactions have been a problem. And as much of a nonconformist as I like to think I am, I'm also kind of a people pleaser. And I truly want everyone to like me. I can't help it. Um, I was writing an article earlier this week, and I know that it's really cool to give zero fucks about what people think, but sometimes I feel like I give all the fucks. You give more fucks than most people a lot of times. I think, well, and it's, it's something that I think whenever you have to deal with it even more, um, I mean, it's going to go one of two ways. Like either you're going to really learn not to care or 
it will continue to bother you. Um, And I think that that's something that a lot of people find themselves in where whenever you are just sort of like hit on, not like fun hit on, but not fun hit on, like over and over again, you end up developing more fucks to give (laughs) than most people should. Right. So I will talk about my coping mechanisms that I've had to develop much more as an adult dealing with online bullying versus the coping mechanisms that I dealt with as a kid whenever it was purely just playground bullying. I remember one time, I just feel like I need to share this because now whenever I'm dealing with haters or even criticism from a grown-up perspective, I always come back to that like little kid in me. And sometimes I feel like I'm almost defending that little kid. I mean, you have an eight-year-old daughter and that's probably about the time that the bullying really started for me. And I remember one time I was sitting on the playground. We had this thing called the berm, which was like a, the the elementary school was kind of underground. I feel like so that's like the name a- of some like elementary school horror film the berm I know the berm (laughs) so it was partially underground and there was this kind of grassy knoll that went up onto the building and I was just sitting on that cross-legged just minding my own business being my own little loner self and this kid came up to me and he goes are you masturbating and then he spit on me and at the time I was like I don't even know what that means But now as a grown adult, I can see that poor child that bullied me. Like, what was going on in his home Right, that he felt the need to talk to another classmate, peer, girl that way? Right? Totally horrible. So now I will say, I think that that kid was scared. He misunderstood. He was probably misunderstood. He misunderstood me. And I God think that that's what, what he was being exposed to. <laughs> I know. Poor kid. I mean, it really does break my heart. But um, but now as a grown up, I, I try and like muster up that compassion for myself and then for that other kid whenever dealing with bullies now. And that oftentimes it just is coming from a place of fear and misunderstanding and insecurity. And, you know, this is kind of a question that I had whenever thinking about this chat that we were going to have about bullies and haters and authenticity. How much is it our responsibility to understand the motives of bullies? So every time I tell someone about a hateful comment, they might be like, oh, they're just jealous or, oh, they don't have this or they they're like this. Like we always go to this place of wanting to understand or even visualize them on their computer in their mother's basement. You know, we want to paint this like really terrible picture of our haters. But how much of that is even our responsibility? Because as creatives, our responsibility is just to show up and do the work and let it go. After that, my job, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not here to defend my work. I'm just here to make it, right? Yes. Absolutely, yes. And I think I think we can expend so much energy thinking and worrying and like and I do it I totally do it or like think about like I've had plenty of like clients who I felt were kind of bullies um or or even like working 
in uh, like in the workplace, like before I started working for myself, like having to deal with people who just like like power trips, like fuck those guys um, or people who just can't deal with their own emotions or can't deal with what's going on in their life in a healthy way and have to expend that energy out onto other people. I think that um, I think that obviously there is a lot of things going on in their lives and like Is it our job to break that apart and then feel sorry for them? Um, I mean, I think on some level, yes, like we should be compassionate for everyone. I think that's that's how we heal all of the things. Um, But I don't think it's our job to really break it down. It's just to move on is to make the things and continue making the things and move on and hope the very best for all of them. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about moving on because I have had to develop some coping techniques and tactics and mindsets, not only to get over real bullies who are saying hateful things, but also my own inner critic. And that often shows up as perfectionism or scarcity mindset. So, or crying into your pillow. We're crying into my pillow. God knows. I have those days too. (laughs) All right. So some of the things that I've done to deal is the first resource I want to mention is Don Miguel Ruiz, The Four Agreements. There is a chapter in there about not taking anything personal, and it changed the way I approach everything, not even haters, But even praise and even my interpersonal relationships, like if you're having a bad day and you're short with me in a project that we're going through, it's so easy to be like, oh, what did I do wrong? Or um, I need to step it up. When in fact, you might just be having a really terrible day. You may not have gotten enough sleep. You might feel scattered and spread thin. And that's going to come out in our interaction. But it has nothing to do with me. Other than like, I want to help you or, you know, whatever it might look like. So that's my biggest thing is not taking it personal. And I feel like, Emily, you're really good at not taking things personal. So I'd love to hear more from you on that. Yeah, I am really good at not taking it personally. or And like, I do sometimes. It's not to say that I'm completely, completely like absent of that ability. Um, but, but I have somehow cultivated in myself over the years the ability to sort of remove myself from, from a lot of that. And which, like, that may be part of my like perception of I don't have haters and that like I do. I'm just not fucking listening to you. I do not have time for that shit. Um, because I think anyone, anyone has the right to formulate whatever opinion they want of absolutely anything. That is your right as a brain having human being um but it's also my right to completely not listen to it so um so I don't know how I've cultivated that I have no idea but I do not take very much very personally it takes a whole lot to offend me um and it's probably going to be less about me and more about my child or my dog like those things would offend me more so than saying anything about myself um So, yeah, I think if you can, and it's all just a practice, like if you can practice just not giving a shit, um, then it's going to be easier and easier for you to not give a shit. Um, And I think 
I think there are some things you can do around that. I always think about Marie Forleo and how she supposedly, and I don't obviously have proof, but how she doesn't read any of her feedback. Like she has her people read feedback and then anything constructive, like anything that's actually worthwhile because very little of it is, is what gets taken to her as part of like the feedback that, that needs to be paid attention to. And I think that like by putting your blinders on in that way, in whatever way you can, whether it's having someone else um, filter it for you or just like having an inbox, like an email address that you have like feedback go to that you don't even look at because it doesn't matter. <laughs> like that's also an okay thing to do. So putting on blinders in that way, I think makes it easier for you if you don't have the ability to really not care. Um, doing little things like that to help you not even see it, I think is a helpful way to cope. Something I've been trying recently is letting go of my need to be right. Ooh, so I can't wait to watch this in practice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I actually really want to talk to David about this, though. <laughs> yeah? Hang on. My computer is starting to whirl up, so I'm going to give it a few seconds so that our sound engineer can... <laughs> Well, that in that out. case, I want to go over to the comments. So, Kirby, you saying that teachers being bullies, like that shit sucks. I can, and I think most of us can think of one time or another when an adult was the perpetrator and not even a peer, which I think is just nonsense. But also, like, part of us all just needing to let it go and be nice people because, like, we're affecting everyone we're around. Um, and then Nikki also says, we, she just got your inner critic as a big jerk. And we've already talked to Danielle Carissa. That episode is coming out in a few weeks. So keep a lookout. And our very first episode that we did with Danielle Carissa, she talks about a professor telling her that her artwork was garbage. And how many of us have had that really harsh professor in college tell us that we're no good? And I think that that's happened to anybody who's making anything at some point is going to be told that their stuff is no good. And so... I want to come back around to this idea of letting go of the need to be right. So recently I was thinking, what if I was just cool with people not liking me? And I know I say that all the time, especially whenever it comes to branding. It's your job to attract the people that you want to work with and repel the people that you don't want to work with. But it's still a little tricky, right, whenever you feel like, Someone doesn't like you out of fear, scarcity, or misunderstanding. But whenever I can just think, okay, yeah, you don't like that I'm a little woo-woo, or you don't like that maybe I drop the F-bomb every once in a while, or maybe I said a word that doesn't resonate with you and you don't like me for it. Bah, that's what I've got to say. <laughs> So I want, I want to talk about one of the ways Nicole down here asked a really great question and she says, it is hard to give less fucks. Sure. So my question is when they go high or low, how do we go high? Love the Michelle Obama reference. I am feisty and my inclination is to go snarktastic on them. So I have to share with you something that I do because like I absolutely lose my cool sometimes. And what I will actually do in these scenarios is I will sit down and write an email. 
just and say everything that I have to say. And I might send it to someone like someone on my team or I might send it to David. I will let someone else read it and then I'll delete it. I have found that that is the best way that I have to working out, working through all the feelings that I have and saying all of the nasty ass things that I want to say and then deleting it so that no one ever has to see it. And it always makes me feel better. Like then I can go about my life and I haven't like done anything horribly embarrassing either. Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. I think that whenever others are going low, the way that I go high is by making something. So I like to think of haters as people who are energy draining and not only energy draining, but destructive. And the only way I can combat that darkness and that negativity is by being positive and productive and literally creating something. So someone might be criticizing my podcast, but I'm just going to go make another podcast. It's all I can do as a creative. I mean, in my bones, I'm built to make things. And I think that making things is the best way that I can combat any negativity. Um, Whenever I'm physically making something or writing something or designing something, I don't have time to think about negativity or hate. Um, Another thing, oh, what was, you guys are seeing the flubs and all. You're seeing us think. (laughs) Um, So, oh, uh, something I did recently, I was getting, I was seeing a lot of negativity not negativity. It's not negative. It's anger. And I'm seeing a lot of anger on my Facebook feed. And it's like-minded anger. It's anger that I completely agree with. But the anger itself to me is starting to feel poisonous in my own bones. So I am really learning from my own hate. So right now, to be completely transparent, This Donald Trump thing, and we're not going to get too political, but it is eating me up. It's keeping me awake at night, and it's making me really super angry. And it would be really easy for me to go on my own Facebook feed or even on a podcast and talk about how angry I am. But for me, it always, what's that phrase? I think it's Maya Angelou that says it. It's like whenever you're hating on someone, it's, it's like taking your, it's like, poisoning yourself. I'm getting, I'm butchering this. If anyone knows that quote about like, it's, it's like trying to, you're trying to kill someone else by swallowing your own poison. Anyway. Yeah. So I feel like this anger is me poisoning myself, right? So recently I got in our Facebook group for being boss and I said, hey bosses, and this group is now over 16,000 people and growing. And I said, I'm seeing a lot of anger and rightly so in my Facebook feed. For me, it takes more courage to be positive and to be enthusiastic about the things that I love rather than 
being cynical or critical of the things that I hate. For me, it's easy to be angry. It's easy to be cynical. And so for me, the brave thing is to be positive. So I kind of created this positivity thread. And even in that thread, I was misunderstood. And people were saying that the brave thing is to be angry and to speak out about it. And I know for a lot of people that is. But for me, that doesn't feel brave. For me, that's like my default. Anyway, um... So so for me, just kind of focusing on what I love is a really great way to cope with hate and to understand that like my hate for um, the current political landscape, for example, really, what is that bringing up in me? It's bringing up fear. I'm afraid. And so if I'm not afraid, how am I behaving instead? Yeah. And so, OK, we all have that quote. Um, actually, I have two quotes. So Liz shared one holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at someone else you are the one who gets burned from buddha and another one and this is the one that you were referencing i think holding on to anger is like poisoning yourself and hoping someone else will die so thanks for that sharon also thank you buddha i think i need to just (laughs) hang out with buddha a little bit more well and i love what you said a minute ago about how like the easy thing to do is to post something angry on facebook like that is the easiest thing to do i think that like that's going low doing the easy thing is going low if you want to go high you do the hard thing and it's being courageous and it's making a positive change and it's doing the work despite what everyone else is saying or doing whether to you or in some landscape out there somewhere um because whenever whenever I'm feeling whenever I'm feeling down either because we've gotten an email because someone doesn't like a word that we've used or if we've gotten you know any sort of negative feedback that I'm not agreeing with or that I don't see as being constructive because there's a difference between receiving just negative feedback and receiving constructive feedback like I'll take constructive feedback all day but if you just have some negative shit to say keep it to yourself um but for me it is about doing the work and for us it is creative things um Because you have to know that what you're doing is it has a positive impact or else you wouldn't be doing it. Like this would not be your life's purpose if you didn't understand that you were doing some good in the world. So I think by um, by doing the work and knowing the positive impact you're having, whether it's just on yourself or anyone else around you. And paying attention to that, like being able to measure it in some way, you know, I'm all about like tracking shit, Um, but being able to measure your impact and having that proof for yourself so that whenever you are feeling down and out because someone's being an asshat to you, you can look back and say, no, like here is my proof that what I am doing is really right. And I think that by having that to go back on um, or even like surrounding yourself with people who also see it and will tell you that if you need that extra support. Um, can be everything if you do have some issues either with some sincere haters or the inability to like cope with it easily yourself. Okay, we've got one more question on haters and then I want to move on to authenticity and honesty and that's the stuff that really gets 
me excited and loving what I do. Okay, so Desiree says, I haven't had any haters yet that I know of, but I'm not going to go digging. But I have been blogging for five years, and so I know for a fact it will happen. I'm wondering how much should you listen to the feedback? Should you just toss it out the window or look at it and use it to better your business? Do you two ever use it to your advantage to change your approach? So I first discovered some blog haters when I was on vacation in Vienna. I was in a beautiful location, and this was probably, I don't know, three or four years ago, and I was looking at my blogging analytics and notice I had a huge spike Which in Which is also just a bad thing, period. If, I, if you're on vacation in Vienna and you're looking at your website analytics, like, mm-mm. <laughs> This is why I quit analytics. But continue. (laughs) True story. So I was looking at my, I just noticed an uptick. It was kind of like a random, maybe I was checking in on things and I noticed this huge spike in traffic. And then I noticed that the source was a website that is notorious for hating on bloggers. And there was an entire forum and thread on why people didn't like me. And I started to read it and I literally felt sick to my stomach. I felt so misunderstood and just scared. Like, I wonder if even on a primal biological level, whenever we read criticism or hate, like in our lizard brain, it feels like a threat to our life. Right. Right. And for me, it just I mean, obviously, it's not a threat to my life, but I got that. I can even feel it in my stomach now just talking about it, that feeling of just gross. I could not believe that this was happening. And there were a few ways that I coped with it then, um, but ultimately it came down to my husband telling me we're in Vienna and you're upset about someone who's jealous of you or doesn't like what you have to say, like get get over it. But the thing is, is that it takes time to get over that and it takes time to develop a thick skin about that sort of thing. Um, but for me, really relying on my creative wolf pack and my inner circle, I was able to get over it. You know, I remember at the time my brother sent me this quote Why am I bringing up all these quotes that I don't actually have pulled up? (laughs) But someone said that if you say nothing, do nothing, you know, and you are nothing, then you won't get any negative feedback. But if you're doing something, someone's going to have something to say about it. So in some ways... Eminem said something like that, too. It was Eminem. (laughs) (laughs) You only get one shot. Um, So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it was it was really helpful just at that time to really rely on my creative wolf pack. These days, I don't really rely on my creative wolf pack so much, um, but I also don't take the toxic feedback and it in no way affects how I go about my business. It just can't. Um, I do have a friend that runs a pretty popular blog and every so often she'll get on the hater website and read some feedback and some people will say, oh, you know, this really did make me rethink that topic and I'm actually glad that this criticism came about because it helped me change something for the better. But I call bullshit on that. I don't, I think that this website is so toxic and hateful. If I have definitely received criticism, but it has been from bosses that I trust or our audience that is actually engaged with our content. 
And I will absolutely take that. Like Desiree, I'm answering your question right now. And if you came to me one day and said, hey, you said this thing about motherhood and it really resonated with me funny and I was wondering if you could offer up a different perspective by maybe bringing on a guest that is a single mom or you know it could be anything that kind of feedback yes I will take it and I will run with it and I will listen to it and I will change course to serve my audience that's already here but I'm not out to serve haters not well, happening. And and even then, like even if one of our dearest readers were to have an issue with something that we say, would we like just essentially make that then yes, we're absolutely going to change the thing. Like we absolutely have our own filter of values and like ideals that we run everything through. And yes, like toxic shit by like if you are not going to be constructive, I don't care if you are not like part of my inner circle or like just on the outside of it, then like I'm just not going to make time for that. But if it is like a well-thought, good-hearted, constructive way of sharing feedback or and to have like good intention behind it, absolutely. But sites like that, like there's no good intention behind any of that shit. So I'd say I'd call bullshit on that as well. Um, But I think it is going back to like and this is a great segue, BT dubs, into like authenticity. It's knowing who you are and what you stand for that allows you to filter through the nonsense that anyone would ever have to say about you that's in any negative light or even positive, like taking positive feedback is even filtered through the own set of values and ideals that you hold true for yourself. Yes, absolutely. So Liz, in our comments, in our live hangout here, said, you have to actually be in the arena. And this comes from Dr. Brene Brown's work. So if you have read Daring Greatly, you know that it's all about showing up and being seen. And that's you in the arena. And in the arena, there are the cheap seats. And there are people that are on the ground with you doing the work as well. And we are always far more likely to respect the opinions of people who are also doing the work than people who are shouting at us or heckling at us from the cheap seats. So another thing that Brene Brown wrote is the book Rising Strong. And in that book, she talks about what you do whenever you are face down in the dirt in the arena. And so both of those are really great reads. If you are ever kind of scared of showing up and being seen or dealing with haters, check out those books for sure. Okay, so um, I agree with everything that you said, Emily, about this idea of authenticity and being secure in who you are. And I know that any time feedback really gets under my skin, it's whenever it's poking at something that my own inner critic is telling me is true. And so here Arlene mentions haters suck. Arlene agrees with what Jasmine said in episode number 93 that haters are awful, yes, but the inner critic is the toughest. And I totally agree with this. Um, So anytime a hater says something that is just ridiculous, I've used this um, grass is green or grass is pink metaphor before. It's like if a hater came up to me and was like, hey, your grass is pink. I would be like, okay, what up? See a crazy person. But if they were like, your grass is brown and it's dying 
And maybe my grass really is green, but there's a patch that's brown. I'm going to see that brown patch. I'm be like, oh my God, you're right. It's dying. It's going to freak me out a little bit because part of it is true. And or part of it is something that I've been questioning myself. So um, something that used to bother me back in the day was if people would mention that maybe I was exploiting my kid and that I was using my kid in a, like a marketing way. I would think, Enjoying oh my baby God. baby bump after baby bump. I know. Well, and that's, what, that's what it was. Is your that, life. I was taking a bunch of photos of my baby bump and I thought, it, am I using this as an accessory? Is this a trendy thing? And then having a kid is like never anything I would ever do for marketing purposes. So now that's turned into like a grass is pink situation. Like, okay, this is the last thing I would do to boost my stats is like have a baby because <laughs> this is the hardest shit I've ever done. Um, so there's definitely like those grass is pink situations that are easy to brush off. But there are the things that really touch up my sore spots where I'm like, oh. Right. And that can even happen internally, like on our own internal team where there's no hate at all going on. But it's like, hey, uh, you still haven't gotten me that thing that's due. And it's like, oh. I really, know, what's I'm coming to mind, Kathleen? <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm Your just inner rambling. critic needs to shush a minute. Um, and, and so let's let's move on to like some hardcore. Actually, before we go on to authenticity, one thing I want to say, like, I wanted to touch on the, like, uh, when they go low, we go high stuff in terms of, like, whenever I am dealing with shit and whether it's just in my life or business or whatever, like, the whole kill them with kindness, like, I'm just going to smile at you, give you a cute little wave and walk away and see how things are. Uh, because I think that whenever you can either ignore things or just like, or just be as kind and open as possible. Um, I don't know, taking people by surprise in that way. If people are being mean to you, they are trying to get a rise out of you. And if you don't give them the thing that they, that they want, it will end or they'll just keep wasting their damn breath. Um, or one of my other favorite little tactics is just being unabashedly and unapologetically boss as fuck and giving them even more things to be jealous about because then I can look around at my life, see what it is that I've created and what it is that I'm doing and not feel sorry for it at all. I love that so much. I've mentioned this before, the bumper sticker that changed my life. And I feel like it came to me by divine, by the grace of God. Like God <laughs> sent me this bumper sticker. So I was driving and feeling particularly hurt by some um, unwarranted feedback. And I read a bumper sticker that said, have you ever met a hater doing better than you? And again, I think that that puts a little too much attention on why this hater sucks compared to you. And that's not what I'm trying to do at all. But it does but remind you. that's what you, you need to tell yourself to get past it, like, I won't blame you. <laughs> and so that's kind of one of my tactics is looking at the people that I really admire and looking at how they deal with it. They don't even have time to deal with it. And that's what I aspire to be. I aspire to be someone who is so busy making good things, knowing my impact and doing the work that I don't even have time to acknowledge or address or entertain the idea of responding to a hater. Agreed. All right, now legit, let's talk about authenticity because I'm super excited about this as well. 
Okay, so I want to start by saying that I know that the word authentic is getting a lot of That's such use a buzzword these days. It's totally a buzzword, but I'm glad. But it's because, because it's a good one. It is a good one. And if you, for me, authenticity means being who you are 100% of the time and to really dig down. And this is something I think about all the time, especially with personal branding being one of the things I get most excited about. I think that authenticity is aligning your intentions and thoughts with your actions and words. And so I think that we create this kind of boundary around what authenticity means that keeps us from evolving or changing our mind or even reacting to the context of a situation. Um, but I don't necessarily think that being authentic is talking to your grandma like you would talk to your best friend, right? There is context for everything or talking to your client like you would talk to your husband. It's totally a context matters for sure. But what are your intentions and thoughts in the moment? So for me, a really authentic, like I remember one of the first times I really was able to harness authenticity was whenever I was in a meeting and I still worked a day job in advertising. I think it, whenever you were, it, it was whenever you were wearing that jumpsuit in the second grade is actually, <laughs> okay. I think, when it was. But continue. But you know what's funny is that wearing that jumpsuit didn't take a lot of courage. And for me, this moment of courage and authenticity that I will never forget was being in a meeting where someone used the word ROI. And I had never heard that before. And I could have just nodded along and pretended like I knew what they the were Kathleen talking about. play like that. But in, I, I found the courage to ask what it meant. And that is one of the times I felt the most authentic was I was curious about what something meant and I was admitting that I didn't know. So that moment felt really authentic to me. And I know it seems really tiny, but what I'm trying to say is that authenticity can show up in really small ways. So, okay, Emily, what about you? Like, what do you think about authenticity and how would you kind of define it? Yeah, I'm right there with you in terms of like intentions and thoughts and really turning those into action. Whenever I think about like how you can be authentic, um, for me, for me, it just always comes back to mindfulness, which also brings me to the fact that like I think being boss has put me on a spiritual path of mindfulness. <laughs> right? Like I feel like who knew? Who knew that starting a podcast would make me a better person? Um, but. I mean, I think about like sitting down and journaling, like what is going on in my mind right now? What is it that I want? Who do I want to be? And what kind of person do I want my daughter to see? And what do I stand for? I think that whenever you can like really get in touch with what those things are for you and you do that by being really mindful, um, turning those into intentions that do direct all of the actions that you take, that's when you're being authentic. And, um, and I really want to point out this like mindfulness for your sake and not not holding true to what other people expect of you or even what tradition would expect of you. I think that whenever you can liberate yourself from those things and like really get in touch with what you want for your sake, um, that's when you are being truly authentic. Like if you're doing a job because your parents told you you had to be or um, or like or your religion or your politics, like and you're just following the traditions or your husband or wife or your children, like if you're a whole 
holding anyone else's expectations for you as quote unquote true for yourself, they're not actually true for yourself unless you dive deep and find that what you do believe for yourself coincides with that, then you're not being authentic. So I think that by like going deep, I mean, get yourself a good deck of oracle cards, honey, and like do some journaling to find out who it is that you are. Like that's whenever you can start taking the action that makes you like an authentic person. Ugh. I amen to everything that you just said. (laughs) And what I'm really hearing you say is really getting curious and questioning everything. Yes. This has happened to me so much on my path to being an authentic parent. I was looking at the way that my mom raised me, which is amazing, but she she was a working mom, but all but a stay-at-home mom. Like practically a stay-at-home mom. She she I'm not going to say that she sacrificed who she was to be a mother because she was just authentically a mom. That's all she wanted in her life. And so I, as a mom, thought that that's all I should want in my life. But that's not the case at all. So I'm having to go down this line of inquiry whenever it comes to the kind of mom that I want to be and really asking myself a lot of questions and trying a lot of different things to be the most authentic parent I can be. So that's just one example. But I found, and I'm curious to hear from you, Emily, on this as well, that I think that a lot of people have a hard time breaking from the traditions and norms that have been set up by our families and by society. But because I've always been bucking the norm, I have found myself kind of getting trapped in these rules, like these countercultural rules of what I should be and who I should be. So it's still conforming to You're like something. the nonconformist that looks like all the other nonconformists. A hundred percent. That's exactly right. Right? Well, so and I So then it's like what rules am I breaking or what rules have I adopted without really realizing it? And I think that's what happens whenever it comes to authenticity and if you're not feeling authentic, it's that maybe you've brought some rules into your life that you aren't even aware that you are following. Yeah, def. Oh, God. Well, and that just comes with like that constant like inner inquiry of like, you know, why do I do this thing? Or why am I believing this thing? And like, I grew up in a like, you know, middle class, low middle class family, super religious. I went to church three times a week, like want to talk about like, needing to do some like, unbrainwashing in a lot of ways. Um, And for me, it was always taking myself out of the context of where I currently was whenever I think about the biggest shifts in my life in terms of in terms of like becoming more and more who I am it's whenever I traveled it's whenever I like saw other pieces of the world and saw how things could happen in other places or with other people or under different belief systems or whatever it was it was whenever I took myself out of my bubble and into other places and experienced new things that I found extra parts of myself or became really aware of the cycles that I was running that was just like me not thinking but doing and um and so yeah I think I think that whenever you're being still, 
whenever you are just doing the work um, and you're not having that constant inquiry or you're not leaving your bubble to see what else is happening or what things you have applied to yourself without even realizing it, then you are going to get into, you know, other people's rules or other people's um, boundaries for working or being or expectations. But whenever you can continually move forward in that way, um, I think it becomes easier just continually like step it up with like and with discovering who it is that you are. I think, I don't know, life is a motherfucking journey, guys. Like <laughs> you can either you can either like stay where you are and just ride the wave or you can go after it. And for me, like I think being boss and doing what it is that we do and what we want to do, like I'm not okay with just sitting here and having other people's expectations and rules like layered on top of me like a bunch of stifling blankets like I'd rather throw them off go wander the world uh, do things that I love create things and find out who I am every step of the way and sure that means like Kathleen here someday you'll have dreads and the next day you'll have a cute pixie but like you are becoming who you are every single day and that's way cooler than like stagnating in who you think you are now and who you will be forever or who someone else thinks you should be. Yes, to all of that. I I'm preach it today, guys. Preaching <laughs> it. This this I feel is something that I have been so passionate about lately. Whenever I look at the people who are around me, like the people who are closest to me, like I've got it. Like, look at you, Kathleen, like doing your shit and me and my little family and the people that we like hold closest to us for sure. But like, again, every time I step out of my bubble, I'm blown away by the rest of the world. <laughs> and not that I'm doing it all right, because I absolutely know that I am not. Um, but it does make me really passionate about me, about wanting people to live their life, live their life on their terms, not on anyone else's. Yeah, I think that that evolution piece is huge for me whenever it comes to authenticity. And I think that's what I was kind of trying to touch on whenever I was mentioning these rules that we create for ourselves. Um, and to just use a very superficial example of my hair, it is always changing. <laughs> Literally yesterday, I was walking through the grocery store and saw a client that I worked with face to face in person no less than two years ago, and there was no recognition. No recognition. So <laughs> I'm always changing, and that has, it's always brought about a level of discomfort in me. I wondered if I was unreliable or unstable in that I'm changing my mind and changing direction and changing the way that I look so often. But now I'm really seeing that as a strength. And the thing that you can rely on is that I'm always going to change. But giving myself permission to change has not been easy. And so um, I I've mentioned it barely before that I've been divorced and I think that a big reason is that I got married really young. I was I just turned 21 and I got married to a really great guy, but what I didn't realize I was doing was boxing myself in to being who I was at 21 forever. And not by fault, not by his it wasn't his fault and it wasn't my it was nobody's fault. It was like a super just 
what most people would refer to as a starter marriage. Like nothing was bad. It just wasn't good after a few years. So we decided to part our ways. And then whenever I got together with my husband now, Jeremy, part of almost our vows was that we were going to promise that we would let each other change along the way and that we would stand by each other's side through those changes. And then if at some point we change so much that we no longer get along, that we can part ways too. And so really embracing that, like my marriage is definitely a metaphor for how I'm trying to embrace that in all areas of my life and really redefine what does marriage look like for me. It doesn't mean that I'm stuck at the age at which I got married. And I feel bad for celebrities for this too, because I think that especially child actors, I mean, look at Miley Cyrus. She's been pegged as an eight-year-old Disney star and has not been allowed to grow up beyond that. And people are like, I miss the old Miley. She was eight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, we've we've definitely seen this happen with other celebrities who reach fame at a very young age. It kind of boxes them in at being that age. And I think that's also why I always admired Madonna as a child is that she was always evolving and changing in front of the public eye. And I thought that that was such a brave thing. Thing to do. And so even in our next episode, episode 100, after this one airs, we're going to be talking about what has changed in our points of view in being boss. I mean, we've said a lot of stuff over the past two years, and some of it we don't even agree with anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what I love about being authentic and waking up every day and asking myself, who do I want to be today? What feels most like me today? And that's how we give ourselves permission to change in the grand scheme, but on a daily basis. Yes. But then also, but then doing it, like it's that constant inquiry and also doing it. And I think the last thing I want to say around this is think about authenticity and like changing and giving yourself permission. Like I know, again, it's all a process and it's like this trust and understanding and just doing and hoping it all turns out all right. But I also think that to be authentic, you have to absolutely own it and that if you're being like if you're being authentically you you're not questioning it you're just running with it and I think I think that I think that's a really huge portion of it as well like you are being unapologetic and you are embodying who it is that you want to be you can change that tomorrow if you want to but for the moment you're gonna own it so there's this level of confidence that is paired with authenticity but what if you are authentically full of self-doubt then go go journal that shit out. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I think if you're actually doing the full spectrum of like you are you're inquiring as to what it is that you want to do and who it is that you want to be and you are setting your intentions and you are making strategic moves forward, there should be no self-doubt. Like and if if that's something you struggle with, like get a therapist to help you work through that. Because like all of these steps, all of these steps is what should vanquish self-doubt so that you are able to confidently be who you are. All right, we have a really great question from Carrie And I want to make sure that we touch on this. So Carrie asks, can you talk a little bit about privacy versus authenticity when sharing online? 
Sometimes I don't like to share too much because I'm a private person and I don't want the internet to know all of my thoughts. How do you determine the difference between holding back for privacy versus holding back for vulnerability? This is such a good question and I have to... Hang on. Let me get my thoughts. Sorry, Carrie. (laughs) Okay, this is such a good question. I don't think that you have to be an extrovert who is an open book and putting it all out there to be authentic online or offline. Some of the most authentic people I know are also some of the most private people I know. And what it is, is they really know their boundaries, So we've mentioned her before on this podcast. We interviewed her. Dr. Brene Brown is basically the queen of vulnerability and authenticity. But what I love about her so much as a person is she knows her boundaries. She goes right up to the edge of them and tests them from time to time, but she never crosses them. So I found that whenever I had a kid, I felt a lot less comfortable sharing everything online for the sake of privacy. And so I became a lot more private about my experience, not even my experience as a mom, but about my child himself. But I was still sharing my experience as a mom in a really authentic way. And sometimes I'm like really straddling that line. Sometimes I cross the line and I pull back a little bit. But it's always just about knowing what my boundaries are and being as honest as possible within those boundaries. So if I'm writing an article about business that has nothing to do with my personal life and I don't feel like I'm crossing any boundaries, I will try and be as honest as possible in that business article by using words that I actually say, by bringing some of my own tone into it and expressing myself that way. What about you, Emily? What do you think about, you're more private and mystique than I am. Right. So how do you still show up in an authentic way by while still preserving your privacy. I think it's exactly what you said in that you have boundaries, you know what they are, and then you play freely within them. Um, I think of, I read something or heard something recently about Sarah Michelle Gellar's Instagram feed where she has this boundary that she will openly share anything and everything, but she will not Instagram anything within her bedroom. Like it's and talk about like physical boundary, like you'll never see her like posing in front of her full length mirror in her bedroom or like what her, I don't know, dresser looks like or whatever. And I think I think that's like a very, very real and very solid example of what this would look like. So creating boundaries and it doesn't have to be as physical. You can say, you know, I will never Instagram my kid's face, which is a thing, or I will never use their name or I will never you know, Instagram, other people in general, like you can create these boundaries for yourself, um, but then play freely within them and draw boundaries that you're comfortable with. Maybe that pulls, uh, that push your comfortability, comfortability, comfortability. That word came out of my mouth real hard there for a second. Um, (laughs) You can, you can push your own comfort if you'd like, um, but otherwise create boundaries, play freely within them. I also think that there's an art to what? Wrap it up. You got to go. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you weren't looking at me the first time. (laughs) Just say it. Okay, then I won't say what I'm going to say. (laughs) You can say it if you'd like. 
Okay, I think that there's an art to sharing online in a way that is accessible, but maybe you're not sharing everything. So I think that people like to think of me as an open book and I'll make jokes about sex, but you will never hear specifics about my sex life, for example. Like that's just crossing a boundary for me. Um, So I think that there is this art to sharing in a way and you just don't have to point out the stuff that you're not sharing and then no one will ever know that you're not sharing this thing. Um, So ultimately, I think that's what it is, boundaries. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining us live today. And if you are listening to this episode as it's released, be sure to go to beingboss.club slash events to learn more about our live free hangouts. We've had so much fun with you all and we'll see you next time. So what's the secret to being boss? The secret is that there is no secret. There is no single formula, course, or book that will teach you what you need to know in order to have anything and everything you want. But and here's what we've learned along the way. Being boss is setting up a solid foundation built on intention. It's understanding how to define success on your terms. It's committing to big-ass goals. And it's breaking those big-ass goals down into small, actionable steps. It's about making faster decisions, trusting yourself to see it through, enjoying the process along the way, knowing how to measure what's working and what isn't, and surrounding yourself with smart, ambitious friends along the way. Those are the secrets to how bosses get what they want. We know you want an online business that allows you to make money doing what you love. And boss, we've got you. The Being Boss Clubhouse is where we teach you how to be boss of your life and work. The Being Boss Clubhouse is a two-day online, real-time retreat, followed by 12 months of ongoing community support, monthly masterclasses, and secret podcast episodes. We're only accepting 25 members for our next online retreat. Learn more and apply to join at beingboss.club slash clubhouse. Thank you for listening to Being Boss. Please be sure to visit our website at beingboss.club, where you can find show notes for this episode listen to past episodes, and discover more of our content that will help you be boss in work and life. Did you like this episode? Please share it with a friend and show us some love by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Do the work, be boss, and we'll see you next week.